Welcome to Church at the Beach, y'all. We're going to have a good time this morning. Um, we, uh, when I think about the beach, I have a lot of fond memories. Does anybody like the beach in here? You have a few of us? All right. Uh, some of you, anybody not like the beach? Yeah, there's a few of us. The sand, I understand. I understand. Well, I think about my, my grandfather, my grandfather on my mother's side had a place that he lived at the beach. Uh, he and his, his wife, uh, my grandmother. And I learned about how to, how to do net fishing. I learned how to cast a net. Uh, I learned how to clean a fish. I learned uh, how to go clamming and um, all kinds of stuff I learned from him. I learned how to take five hours too long to do something, right? You ever have one, a grandparent like that? Like, we don't need everything. Can we just go? Um, I remember uh, in my teenage years learning to walk on the beach in a way that attracted the ladies but didn't seem creepy, you know? I don't think I figured that one out, but I tried real hard. Tried to learn that at the beach. Right, right, John? You got that? You already had that one down. Okay. I remember one time we lost my younger brother at the beach. He was like four or five, you know, just we lost him, you know. That ever happened to y'all? Uh, looking for treasures on the beach, jellyfish or shark or shark's teeth or, or watching turtles hatch and run into the ocean, fun times at the beach like that, epic games of football or, or ultimate frisbee. Um, my grandfather, my other grandfather, the one whose um, love language was pain, I remember him, uh, he would go out about up to his chest in the water and he'd just lay down on his back and he would take a nap. And just drift. And then an hour later, he'd wake up wherever he was and swim to shore. We, we lost him many times. But he would just, I mean, we we're like, what are you doing, Dad, Granddad? I'm taking a nap. And then I remember one time the lifeguard had to go get him. Like, he was way out there. Just enjoying himself. Made new friends at the beach. Beatty and I actually met. I'm going to let him tell that story on the beach. Uh, that was for another time. But we had good times um, at the beach, and as we were thinking about this summer, you know who spent a lot of time on the beach? Jesus. You know, we don't typically, or I didn't, typically think about the beach and think about Jesus. But Jesus spent time on the beach. In fact, much of his ministry, many of his teachings were on the shore of a beach, or, or at least the Galileans thought so. They called it the Sea of Galilee. Now, everybody from Rome called it the Lake of Tiberias. Have you ever been a place be like, that's a mountain, and then people from the Rockies are like, that's not a mountain. Uh, that's a beach, and everybody else is like, that's not a beach, you know. But this was the beach for Jesus. And so our passage this morning is going to be in Matthew 4, 12 through 22. We'll be here again next week, but this is be launching into this series. So let's read Matthew 14, 12 through 22. Church at the beach, your beach moment. We have that up? There we go. Let's read together. Now, when he had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, or we'll just go with that one, Capernaum, by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. 
The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And Matthew's quoting here out of Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. From that time, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or has come near. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Jesus, for your example, for your message at the beach for us this morning. Lord, help us to be attentive to your word and to your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> the first thing we see I like to highlight is the myths we are tempted to believe. The myths we are tempted to believe. Myth number one, the myth of salvation by vacation. Has anybody fallen into this? That if I could just get to vacation, my life will be better. Now, we wouldn't say that. We might not even... Um, articulate that. But there's this maybe uh, belief in the heart. There's this shift of our soul that we just kind of live that way. Man, if I could just get to this week off, my life will be fine. But here's what I've found about the myth of salvation by vacation. I take myself with me. We were on vacation a couple weeks ago. I'm still yelling at my kids. I don't know. I was like, man, I thought if I got to vacation, I would have patience and kindness Right? No, still had, to for, still had to repent, still had to forgive, still had to do things, right? It wasn't what I thought it would be. Now, it was nice. I'm not going to, we'll get to that myth number two. But myth number one, salvation by vacation is a myth. Now, we might not be looking for vacation or, or the beach. Sometimes, you know, if you've seen those commercials with Corona, it's the beach in a bottle. Salvation might not be the actual beach, but this, this place of tranquility with this beer or this moment. So what is the beach for you? What are you looking for salvation from? That if you can just get there, it'll be awesome. It might be the weekend. I've done that. If I could just get to Friday, I can make this, you know. I think Pastor Mike mentioned this the other day. It's Monday, right? But then you'll hear, it's Friday, right? It's Friday, baby, as if the day is going to change my situation. What's the beach in your life? Could be salvation by intoxication, right? If I could just drown my misery, if I could just not remember or forget or, or lose this inhibition, then I'll be better if I can get there. Might be two or three or four or six or 12 drinks in. I can get there. Maybe it's salvation by isolation, right? That if I can just get away, all these people, these people, I can leave my kids behind. I can, I can leave my job behind. I can, if I can just get by myself, salvation by isolation, it won't happen. You're going to take yourself with you. 
Maybe it's salvation by disassociation. Ever done that? Escape into a Netflix series? Right? Oh, man, I can't wait to get there. Right in. Maybe it's gaming. Maybe it's a hobby, hunting, fishing. Maybe it's pornography. That's a a big disassociation. Statistics say that men in this room, that will be a temptation for them. Right? That we'll just dive right in to get away from whatever is really the problem in our heart or our soul. Salvation. But here's the reality. Salvation didn't come because we made it to the beach. (laughs) Salvation comes in Christ alone. In Christ alone. Now we're going to get into this myth next, but here's something, a personal application for you, is pray about your vacation. Pray into it. Ask God to cover it, right? Ask God to, I'm going to get some days away. Lord, I pray that it's meaningful. It's restful. I don't lose it or waste it on the wrong things. Pray into it. Now, I've got to make a confession. When I first got married and many years after that probably, I don't, I don't vacation well. About two days, it's about all I can handle. And then I'm like, we've got to get out of here. I've got to get back, you know. I'm a doer. I'm a, I'm a get things done kind of guy. I don't vacation well. Um, I would like to say it's this noble cause of purpose. I think it's more fear or anxiety or insecurity that God is saying, man, can, can I be enough in your life for you to sit back for seven days? And not do anything? Maybe. Which leads us to our second myth. The myth of I don't need a vacation. If we look throughout the Old Testament law, we realize that every week, God demanded for the people of God to take a day off, not to work. For their benefit. And there was actually weeks on end in the calendar that they weren't allowed to work. Weeks. All the the statistics show us that a vast majority of research agrees the benefits of taking a vacation are increased mental and emotional health, decreased stress, increased brain capacity, decreased heart disease, improved sleep, improves motivation and goal achievement, improves family relationships, decreases burnout, just to name a few. Now, I understand there are seasons of my life that wasn't a reality. That might be where you are right now. That's okay. But pray for it. Ask for it. Maybe God will give you a creative idea. Maybe there's someone, a friend of yours who lives in another town is in your season that y'all can just swap houses for a week. Just, just anything to get away. That's what's so neat about the body of Christ is that maybe there's someone here that might be able to give you an angle so that you might get a couple days away. This was beautiful about us bringing what we have to the table to help each other. But this is, this is a need for us. Now, C, or three, the, the third myth I want to look at is the myth of a greener grass. We look at this and Jesus leaves Nazareth. And he goes to Capernaum and it says he lived there. Now, if you remember, Jesus was rejected in his hometown. They said to him, Who is this son of of, uh, Joseph, the carpenter, the carpenter's son? 
They rejected him and he left and he goes to Capernaum. But you know what didn't happen in Capernaum? Some great revival. In fact, we read a few chapters later in Luke chapter 10, he says, Woe to you, Capernaum, because if the miracles that were done in you were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented and it would remain to this day. Wow. It wasn't Nazareth to revival at the beach. See, sometimes the greener grass is not always greener. Sometimes your next moment isn't somewhere away. We do that, don't we? We say, man, my problems are here, and if I can move to there, I'd have a better life. But as I've said before, and I'll say again, you'll take yourself with you. Your insecurities, your bitterness, right? Your, your unsettledness of your own soul doesn't go away and stay behind. You take it with you. And Capernaum was no revival. We need to, to be careful. Are we missing a moment here? Some of, this is a transient place. Some of you won't be in Greenville forever, but will you get what God wants you to get while you're here? Will you be trained? We're going to set up, uh, we, as we do every semester, we, we train about disciple step and how to follow Jesus and implement a lifestyle. We're, this coming fall, we're going to do uh, a victory weekend and walk through breaking bad habits and, and, th- and getting free from some garbage of our soul and have encounters with the Spirit. Will we take time to sign up for that or will we just stay busy and look for the greener grass? Because, oh man, I'm going to, this weekend I'm out and this weekend I'm out and this weekend, and we don't take time. God's got you here. Now, it might not be, but for a year or two or five or ten, but, or James, a long time, right, James? James tried to get out. Jesus said, stay, brother. <laughs> right? So while you're here, will you get what God wants you to get while you're here? Or were you looking for greener pastures? The myth of greener grass. And finally, probably my favorite in this passage is the myth of it's too far gone. Matthew quotes this passage out of Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9. And he says, Zebulun and Naphtali, the way by the sea, Galilee of the Gentiles, a light has dawned in you. It was deep darkness, the shadow of death, but a light has come. Do you know what Isaiah was saying there? He's saying, guys, in Israel... Even in Naphtali and Zebulun, the light will come. It's the worst place in our nation. That's what the, the, the heart of Isaiah, when he's prophesying that. You think, I want us to think of the worst place in your mind of this nation. What's the worst place? That's where God wants to redeem. The worst place, the darkest place. On you, a light has come. What have you written off is too far gone? What have you said, man, it'll just, it's better if it falls in the sea? That's where God is moving. In the greatest darkness is the greatest treasures. You don't walk on the beach and find gold and diamonds. You dig into the mountain. Under great pressure, under great darkness, those valuables come out. And we've written places off. Nations we've written off. And God says, their light has come. That's where God wants to move. Now, those are big picture. Oh, yeah, big picture. States and nations. What about this city? 
who's written off areas of this city saying nothing good can come out of that place. Their light has come. Jesus has come to bring his light in parts of this city that we've written off is too dark. And out of that soil, out of that deep, pressurized places of darkness, God's going to bring great jewels of of delight and, and destiny and purpose. It's too far gone. Is it? What about your own family? What have we given up on? It's the Galilee of the Gentiles, bro. It's Galilee of the Gentiles. Could anything good come from Nazareth? Where was Nazareth? Galilee. Could anything good come from that? Only the Messiah. Only five of the 12 apostles come from this city. Written off, backwoods, dark, too far gone. What about your family? What have you written off? What about your own soul? What are areas that you won't go? It's too dark. What are areas you've refused to let the light of the gospel shine into? Could be relationships. Could be your marriage written off. Let me just encourage you this morning. There's nothing too far gone for God. There's no darkness that his light can't penetrate. Do you think the darker it gets, the light doesn't have power there? It doesn't walk in and push back darkness. And it doesn't take much, does it? In a dark place, the lowest setting on your iPhone can light up a room. Good thing we don't have the lowest setting. We have a blaze in the gospel. We have a blaze. Jesus can heal even that in your soul that you thought was unhealable. Jesus can give you hope for the future when everything else says, don't believe. Jesus can break something that you thought would mark you for the rest of your life. It's too far gone. Galilee of the Gentiles in the shadow of death. Oh, your light has come. Will you believe that Jesus can light up any dark place? You are not too far this morning. No situation is too far for God. No person, no place, no city, no section of our city, no campus, no situation you're facing is too dark for the light of the gospel to pierce. There aren't just myths dispelled in Jesus' ministry, but they're moments Jesus creates. I was listening to a podcast this week and John Tyson, he's a pastor in New York City, wrote a book called Intentional Father. He's written a number of books, but um, the one I've been kind of researching, Intentional Father, a practical guide of raising sons of courage and character. And he began to take a moment using um, a, a, a habit of highly effective people. He says, I had a son, and I began to imagine in my mind what I wanted my son to, to be prepared for. 
to, to be as he steps out of my home. And so if you begin with the end of mind, I started thinking about how can I help him get to that place so that when he leaves my home, he has what it takes. And so I began to think about how people grow, how people change. And he goes, two things stood out to me. There are moments, divine, earth-shattering moments in our lives. Powerful, big, catalytic, defining moments. I can think about those. Man, in, at this altar, the power of the Holy Spirit fell on me. I'll never forget that. Back there in that corner, I was baptized in water. I'll never forget those moments. I'll never forget the moment Jesus called me into full-time ministry in a, in a room of 1,500 college students. Jesus reaching down, grabbing me by the scruff of my neck and telling me to stand up. And then thinking, dear God, why am I on my feet? There's a moments. But they're not just moments. It's moments and then it's ordinary, everyday, habitual, receptive stuff that we do significantly, we do consistently. And it's both of those together that move us forward on our path of growth and faith. And Jesus here has a moment. The Bible says that John the Baptist was put into prison. No, John the Baptist was friend of Jesus. He was the man who baptized Jesus. He was his cousin, his first cousin. He was related to him. And so John the Baptist was put into prison. And then it says, from that time on, Jesus moved away to Capernaum from that time. What time? And we learn from the other gospels that this time when John was put into prison, that was the, the moment that Jesus began to preach the gospel begin to preach. He, he started his ministry. At this moment, he made a moment. Now, this first moment was a negative one. Now, think about how we respond to negative moments. My cousin just got put in prison unjustly. This is wrong. This is bad. Let me pull away. Let me retreat. But Jesus took this negative moment and he turned it into a positive movement. He said, man, I'm going to take this moment that could demoralize me. And I'm going to shift it to a moment that moves me forward and the mission of God forward. So my question for us this morning is, what moments in your life, maybe recently, that are negative, that have, that, that have impacted you, that, that you can look back and say, this is not good but that God wants to use that moment to shift you for positive movement. What moment are you facing this morning? Anybody, anybody facing a moment this morning? Anybody? One, two, one of us. Okay, good. I'm preaching to you, brother. God will take a negative moment for you, and he'll shift it for you. If you allow him to do it, and it'll go in positive movement. Now, you can stay in your negative moment. You can or you can use that moment to take a step back and then shift in a new direction and move. Now, that's up to you. But let me encourage you this moment. Jesus took a negative moment and turned it into positive movement. Jesus takes negative moments I mean, you will hear it in your sleep tonight. Jesus takes negative moments and shifts it for positive movement if you'll follow him in it. 
if you'll respond to him in it. What is Jesus trying to do in this moment? What is Jesus trying to do in this moment to shift me in a positive direction, a kingdom direction? Can we ask that? Can we ask that this morning? And we see a second moment in this passage. Jesus sees Peter and James. Peter and Andrew and James and John. He sees them all and he comes up to them and he has a moment with them. He says, hey, come out. Jesus creates a moment. Normal day for Peter and John and James and Andrew. They're just fishing. A normal day routine. Everyday stuff. Mending the nets with dad. Golly, Dad, can we be done? You know? Here's the moment. Just every day, routine, and Jesus makes it a life-changing moment. Chip and Dan Heath in their book, The Power of Moments, says this. You can elevate moments by doing three things. Boost sensory appeal, right? Make it sensory. So if you look at Luke's account of this, this, this is when Jesus feels the first time, Jesus feels Peter's boat. That's a, that's a sensory moment, right? His senses were alive, baby, right? I've hit the jackpot of fish. That's a good moment. You, he increased sensory appeal. Second, he raises the stakes. Oh, man, you see what I can do? I can fill boats, Peter. Yes, you can, baby. And this is what he says. Now come follow me. Leave it all behind and follow me. He raises the stakes. It's a call. It's, it's calling us up. It's calling us to courage. It's calling us to follow. It's calling us to do more than we're doing. And thirdly, you break the script. You break the monotony. You've become monotony. Maybe you've become monotonous in your walk with the Lord. Maybe you've become monotonous with your, your time in the Word. Why don't we break the script? I remember a few weeks ago, uh, I was listening to uh, a training that I was attending. And the guy was like, man, I read through the New Testament every week. I'm like, every week? He goes, yeah, you should do it every month. It's 10 chapters a day. He just broke it down. He began to, to exhort us to do it. And I, it was amazing because for a week, I was listening, reading the Bible 10 chapters a day. You know what? It pushed me out of my monotony. It changed the way I viewed the world. It, it take, took my walk with God. It took my time with the Lord. And it turned it on its head and began a new life in there, right? And so what are we going to do maybe to break out of the, the monotony and the script that we're walking in? Maybe God wants to create a moment for you. Out of the monotony, calling you forth. For Jesus, this meant for his disciples to come and follow me. If you've never taken that step of a public profession of faith and baptism, that's a moment that God ordained has designed for you to start a new script. He's calling you into that. Maybe God's calling you to do that this morning, to create a moment that maybe we've lived out of monotony. And he says, look, I've asked you to do this. You've put it off. Here's all the excuses. But I'm telling you, if you're going to follow me, get baptized. Stand and be counted. That's a moment. You'll never forget it. And he designed it that way. It's funny how we, we read through books and we're like, hey, you do these things to create moments. And God's like, I've created the moment. Get baptized, you know. Stand and be counted. 
These are moments for us, the moments Jesus creates. If you've never been baptized, maybe pray about considering to do that, following Jesus in the waters of baptism. That's why standing to your feet in a crowd like this to have a, a, an altar call takes this, oh, that was a good service, to this, I don't understand why standing to my feet did anything because it awakened me. I broke the script. I took a stand, and it shifted me. And then God met me in that place. He met my faith. Finally, number three, not just myths, not just moments, but the message. The message Jesus preached. If we polled a group of people, maybe in this audience, maybe um, in our city, maybe in the country, and we said, what was the message of Jesus? I'm sure we'd get a variety of things. Some of those, I'm sure, would center around a message of love, right? Jesus is love. God is love. And I think we wouldn't be wrong by that, right? In fact, when we whittle down to the core, even Jesus said this on occasion, right? What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love. But that wasn't the message of Jesus. In fact, simply, it was bigger than that. Why? Because if Jesus' message was love, I want you to think about this. Jesus just walked through Jerusalem like this. Everybody love each other. Love the neighbors. Hey, let's start a, a poor ministry. Let's start a ministry to the poor. Yeah. Why would they crucify him for that? Oh, that's good, man. You Jews should love people, right? Everybody, all these Jews love each other. That's good. Love the Romans too. No, his message wasn't love. Simply, it was deeper. He says this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was his message. That's what the scripture says. Now, obviously, God is love, and I don't want you to mishear me take what I'm saying out of context, but what was the message? According to Matthew, what was the message of Jesus? What did he preach? Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, we think of kingdoms, we usually think of locales, the kingdom of Jordan or a nation. But this wasn't the word, it was more the rule and authority, the sovereign rule of God. And so what they were communicating here, what, what Jesus was communicating is a new ruler is here. A new administration is here. The old administration is passing away and the new administration is here. We see this in um, maybe sports teams, a new ownership. We see this in government, a new political party rises. A, there was an old way of doing things, and now there's a new way of doing it. There was an old way of values, and now there's a new way of values. Jesus was saying a new kingdom, a new authority is here. A new administration is here. Something outside of our space-time continuum, something outside of our dimensions, a, another dimension is breaking in. And I am inaugurating, Jesus, I am inaugurating this new kingdom. Now, it has a future reality, which means every one of us will stand before Jesus, our king, and give an account for our lives, either willingly or unwillingly, but we will bow our knee and confess Jesus is Lord. 
There's a future reality to that. But what Jesus was saying is that future reality is breaking in right here in first century Israel, and it's been pushing forward ever since. And you and I get to experience blips, moments of the kingdom, this side of heaven, and in an increasing measure. So that when Jesus said, if I cast the demon out of you by the finger of God, the kingdom of God has come to you. Why? Because when the kingdom comes, evil flees. When kingdom comes, sickness and disease are done away with. And that's why healing is a mark of the kingdom breaking in. Forgiveness, your shame, your guilt, your old identity is pushed away because the kingdom is breaking in. Now, we call it a miracle because it doesn't happen all the time. But there are moments when God pushes out by the Spirit and breaks in and says, the kingdom of God is here right now. Here's a moment. And Ephesians calls it, in Ephesians 1, he says, we get a foretaste. We get a... Uh, uh, um, a down payment of what is to come when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When you encounter the Spirit, that's why we believe in the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts and the power of the Spirit because when the Spirit comes on you and you experience the Spirit, you get a foretaste of what's coming. You get a down payment, an assurance of your salvation that, oh yeah, I know because He came on me and I got a foretaste of what is to come. And Jesus is declaring a new kingdom is breaking in. It's a declaration. It isn't. Everybody save a lot of money. It's not advice. It's a declaration of what is happening. God is breaking in to human history through the man Jesus, who is God, who died for you and I's sins and raised to life. And he has a new set of values, a new set of ways of doing things. And he would go on to preach about this. He says, look, if you want to gain power in the coming kingdom that is breaking in, you give it away. If you want to lead, serve. If you want to be rich, empty your wallets. It's an upside-down kingdom. Because the world says, if you want to be powerful, push down, intimidate, Make people fear you. And Jesus said, I mean, who feared Jesus, right? Walk man, he's healing the sick. Oh, everybody's running, they're tackling. Could you push? I gotta get out in the way. I gotta get out in the water because they're pressing in on me. Why? Because they wanted what he had, because he was there to serve. He was there to lay down his life, not to take it up. So here's Jesus, and here's the message of Jesus: a new king is here. A new kingdom is here. Now we get an invitation into that kingdom because Jesus died for us and purchased our ticket. Or, or here's a better analogy. He adopted us into his family. So now we're not just kind of like serfs in the kingdom. We're sons and daughters. We're not just slaves who kind of get in the kingdom because Jesus forgot about us. We're sons and daughters in this kingdom. And this is the kingdom that Jesus is proclaiming. And so if you're broken, if you're busted and, and beat up and oppressed and, and, and victims of injustice, a new kingdom is here where Jesus will have the final rule and he will right every wrong. 
And if you're in places of authority and you are doing the injustice and you are pushing down and you're doing that, let me have a new kingdom is here and he is watching and you will stand before him. And so, yes, this is about salvation, but more than salvation. This affects how we relate to our spouses. This affects how we do government. This affects how we do business because a kingdom is breaking in. A new king is here. And this is the message Jesus is bringing. It's a declaration. He didn't say, hey, guys, if you vote Jesus in, he'll come. He's here. A king is here, and he's breaking in. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is breaking in. That's why you hear echoes of this in the prayer of Jesus. Our Father who art in heaven, holy are you, set apart. There's no one like God but God. And then he said this, pray this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are we praying? That the kingdom of God would break in to a greater degree in our lifetime. In first century, it only was happening in Jerusalem. Now in 300 years, it would topple the greatest empire the world had ever seen, a kingdom of love and service. And the Roman empire would fall and the kingdom would continue. Now governments rise and fall, but you know what doesn't fall? The kingdom of God. And the more you push it, the more you suppress it, the more you, you uh, there's persecution. And, and maybe that's coming for us. But I'm going to tell you this. The more it's pushed, the more it spreads. It will not and it will never be pushed down and pushed down. The kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is coming on earth as it is in heaven. That's what Jesus is declaring. Now, that does a couple things for us. Man, the things that in me that are broken and busted and the shame and the guilt and the sin, yes, Jesus is coming to wipe that out of my soul so I can live a new way. But my rebellion, my self-sufficiency, my control starts to quake a little bit because a king is coming. And I'm not in charge anymore. And i got to relinquish that. That leads me to the second part of this message. The kingdom of God is coming. Well, before I jump on from that, Gordon Fee, <clears throat> a famous um, and well-respected evangelical theologian, said this. One of the wisest, uh, you cannot know anything about Jesus, anything, if you miss the kingdom of God. You are zero on Jesus if you don't understand this term. I'm sorry to say it that strongly, but that is the great failure of evangelical Christianity. We have had Jesus without the kingdom of God. And there we, we for have literally done Jesus in. What is he saying? That we want to put Jesus in our entourage toward our destiny. Jesus, get in line. Get in line. We're going to do great things together. Follow me. And Jesus is saying, the kingdom is coming. Do you have anything to do with that? You do not. Jesus is coming. He is coming in power and glory by the Spirit. He is breaking out. We can get in line with his entourage. 
and be a part of what he's doing and be princes and princesses in the kingdom of God. Or we can miss it and even resist it. But, but Jesus isn't coming into our entourage. We don't get to define who we are. Jesus defines who we are. We don't get to tell God our destiny. He tells us our destiny and our purpose. And so this is the reality, breaking in. Now, that's the declaration. The second part of that is, so what do we do with the declaration? We receive it. Yes, Lord, come. Have your way in my life. Be king. I can't wait to see you face to face. Thank you for all you've done for me. Thank you for turning my selfish ambition upside down. Thank you for taking my self-absorption and my self-righteousness and my self-centeredness and my self-sufficiency and, and turning that upside down so that I can see you in your glory. Thank you, Lord, and receive it by faith. But then there's a response. Here's our action. Here's the word Jesus used. Metanoia. Repent. Change your mind. Stop thinking about me, how you relate to me, how you relate to each other. Stop thinking that way anymore. Repent. Metanoia. Change the way you think. Change your mind about who I am. Change your mind about what I'm doing. Change your mind about who you are. I I'm calling you sons and daughters. You are who I say you are. Come, rise and sit with me at my right hand, right? Be a part of what I'm doing. Repent, which means throw away sinful lifestyles that destroy you and your community and the people you love. And turn to me and walk in my way. It's a new way. And here is the beauty of the kingdom, that it is received by faith. And there's a call to action because Jesus loves me, because he's come and purchased me out of sin, I will now live for him. It is an amazing invitation to participate with God in the coming of his kingdom. That's why we love this next generation. That's why we're leaning into things like VBS and Building Hope and ENC and High School Ministry because we know that we will not be here forever and that the church belongs to the young. So that might mean some adjustments in my soul to say, hey, I've got to make room for the next generation to rise and take their place. I've got to do intentionally invest in them. I've got to help them rise to the purpose that Jesus has called them to be and do. Not just in the church, but in the world. Because the kingdom isn't isolated to little organizations around cities. The kingdom is bigger than that. Receive. The kingdom is coming. Respond, change your mind, and come along alongside of what Jesus is doing in the earth. Be a part of what he's wanting, because he wants to do something in you. He wants to set you free. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. He wants to give you hope and a future. Amen? Amen. So this morning, as we, as we close, why don't we stand to our feet? We have... Uh, Zach, if you could come and play for us. What are we doing this morning? <clears throat> Let's just wait on the Holy Spirit this morning. I don't want to miss a moment. I don't want to miss a moment this morning. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. 
just going to have a couple um, moments here. I want to create some moments for us this morning because I feel like Jesus wants to create some moments for us. So if this applies to you, great. If it doesn't, that's fine. You've had some negative experiences recently, or maybe not so recently. That Jesus wants to use into positive momentum for him, positive movement. An act or something done against you or something you've done has had the tendency to push you away from God and your purpose. And you want to make a, a, draw a line in the sand this morning and say, I believe Jesus is asking me to trust him to make this into a movement for him. A shift. If that's you this morning, I want to pray for you. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. All over this room. Lord, you see these hands. I'm asking this morning, Lord, that you would meet every man, woman, and child in this room who's going through a tough time, a negative experience, Lord, that's, that could hurt them, Lord, and you want to redeem it for your purposes. Just right where you are, under your breath, but out of your mouth, I want you to say this, Jesus, I trust you. There's another step I'm going to ask you to take. Jesus, forgive me for letting this experience define my purpose. I want you to define my purpose. Can you pray that this morning? Forgive me, Lord, for allowing this experience to define my purpose. I want you to define my purpose. Send me on a new direction, Father. I will follow you. this place, maybe you're like Peter and James and John and Andrew, you've been in this cycle of monotony and the script, but you hear Jesus calling you out this morning to follow him in a fresh way, following him in a fresh way this morning. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Raise it high. Lord, you see these hands? And just out of your own mouth again, let's, let's make a moment. King Jesus, I want to follow you in a fresh way. Help me follow you, Lord. Help me leave behind where I am so I can trust you about what you're calling me into. In Jesus' name. This is the final moment I want to ask about this morning. So Blake, I am in Greenville, and I don't know how long, but I want to make a moment today that I won't waste my time here. I won't spend my days and weekends and hours and months looking for somewhere else when Jesus is asking me, I'm here, I don't know how long, but I don't want to waste it 
If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I'm making a commitment today not to waste my time. In this city, in, in this community of faith, so that I might get everything that God wants to get in me while I'm here so that I can walk. And if it's here for the long haul, I'll submit to that. But if it's not, that I don't waste it while I'm here. Lord, you see every hand. Lord, help us not to waste our time looking for greener pastures so that we might bloom where we're planted in this season. We ask this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give God a hand this morning? <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. Here's, here's what I'm confident in this morning. Here's what I'm confident in. Jesus is going to do something in our city for the glory of God and the good of all people. And we're going to touch the nations because we're here. I believe that. But my question is, will you be a part of it? Will you invest? Will you put your roots down? Be a part of what God's doing here. It's good. It's good. It's not the only thing God's doing. Right? God's doing a lot of good things in our city. Be a part of what he's doing while you're here. Amen? Amen. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. You guys have an amazing 4th of July. We have um, popsicles on the way out just to say thanks for coming and have a good time and we want to rejoice with you as we celebrate. What, what we're going to do is we're going to leave the altar open for if you need prayer this morning. If you have not been baptized, that has not been a step of faith that you've taken or maybe you did when you were young and now you want to make it afresh, you can sign up for that on our app or the website. We're going to have a baptism in August. We'd love for you to jump in with us, literally and figuratively. We'll see you next week, next Sunday, Church at the Beach, part two. Amen? Amen. Amen.